I'm Jim Collison, and live from the Gallup campus here in Omaha, Nebraska, this is Gallup's Builder Talent Tuesday, Season 1, recorded on May 9th, 2017. Builder Talent Tuesday is a Gallup webcast series that dives deep into the builder profile talents, one talent at a time, and today's talent is Disruptor. If you have questions, comments, or contributions during this live webcast, we do have a chat room. It's available for you right below the main video window. If you just look down there, bottom left-hand corner, it says log in. Choose that. Choose the guest account. Put in your name where it says guest. Take that number that's in there out of there. Hit submit, and you can have uh, you can have you will get entered into the chat room, and you can ask us questions during the live program. If you're listening to the recorded version, have questions about uh, custom strengths coaching solutions for small, medium, or large organizations, you can contact us, send us an email, coaching at gallup.com. Micah Librant is our host today. Micah works as a workplace consultant with us here at Gallup. Micah, always great to have you. You know, we don't do these weekly. It's every other week. So it's great to be back on a Builder Talent Tuesday. Welcome. Thanks. Great to be here. I'm really looking forward to today. Today we are talking disruptor, and I'm super excited about it because we got a great guest who's going to really lives uh, the the whole idea of being a disruptor. But uh, before we get to our guest, Micah, let's dig in a little bit. If folks haven't downloaded the companion guide, now might be a good time to just pause it, get that companion guide so you can fill it in, come back and hit play. But Micah, let's walk through a little bit of what that means. Sure. The disruptor talent is all about asking what if and dealing in possibility. Um, it's it's doing that in a way that pushes the boundaries beyond what other people would ever imagine. So uh, it's just such a, a such a dynamic entrepreneurial talent. People especially talented in this theme have a curious intellect. It helps them constantly imagine new products, new services, new solutions. Uh, they tend to be quick learners. So if you think about having that great intimate relationship with what if, then you probably can can pick up on that what if a lot faster because I think about disruptor talent as really understanding ambiguity in a way that nobody else can quite get comfortable with. It is they're they're constantly thinking bigger and pushing the envelope beyond what's what's already real. And so they tend to be able to pick up on those things faster than others. That it could be because they've already been considering it as a reality. Um, they tend to anticipate future needs of their customers. So think about this as again a, a business builder talent. Really the power and edge of disruptor is that ability not just to push the envelope, but to be able to translate that into action. So if you read with me here on the companion guide, you'll see these folks have the ability to take an idea and quickly transform it transform it into business, transform it into service, transform it into something that generates revenue. And that allows them to truly stay ahead of the competition. I don't know uh, specific uh, talents of, of Steve Jobs, but the, the phrase did come to mind when he was talking about you don't wait for the customer to tell you what they want. You, you create what they're going to want. Just a different take on how you, how you really meet your customer's needs. Uh, folks with Disruptor have a mind that is typically firing with multiple ideas. If you think about the Clifton Strengths Finder theme of ideation, there's a strong correlation that that constant popcorn popper of thinking about new things or new ways that you could really shake things up. They constantly dream up new products and services. What does this look like in action? So if you if you come across a great builder, a great leader, um, a great entrepreneur with, with a disruptor talent, you probably are used to them imagining what's beyond most people think of, of what exists right now. So I think they've got a more comfortable understanding of what doesn't yet exist, whereas people without disruptor tend to start from ideas of what's currently broken or start from ideas of, hey, what are my customers saying? Uh, people with disruptor can can really be comfortable going beyond just what, what already exists and thinking about conceptualizing and describing and even strategizing what isn't yet there. So you might see them exploring options just as they would be exploring reality and constantly dreaming up new products, new 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 services, new uh, solutions. I've, I've mentioned that before, but I think about that specifically as an offering. What are the solutions that you offer in your business? And how can you go about it in a new and different way? They tend to be very curious. Uh, they tend to have this sort of insatiable appetite to learn more because that will build upon their, their constant popcorn popper in their brain of what if and if then. 
they don't just disrupt um, the immediate, but I think many cases, folks with high disruptor um, can disrupt entire industries, not just their own team, not just their or their own organization. So as you're coaching folks with disruptor, I think it's important to consider what are those relationships and how can we expand the value of your disruptor talent? Are you disrupting one-on-one? Are you thinking about your relationship as a leader to your team, to your organization, and to your entire industry? Also on your companion guide, we've got a couple potential blind spots. I would encourage you as you're filling this out to leave some blank space for yourself to make some great discoveries on your own. Um, But I'll give you just just two potential blind spots. And then, of course, um, things that we might think about as investment opportunities to avoid those blind spots. The first one could be, um, in general, highly creative individuals tend to thrive when they can just go out and implement what their ideas are. The, the nature of, of most big ideas is that you need a team in order to make it stick, or you need people who can be the implementers so that you can go off and continue ideating. Um, maybe the opportunity to avoid that, that kind of frustration is to be mindful about finding the best way to communicate your ideas, to, to not just tell people what's the shiniest part of this new disruption, but what's the strategy around it? How do we measure what we're doing? Who do we need to get involved? And how do you really be that point person for getting your ideas out of your head and using them to inspire other people. The second blind spot we've got here means that, you know what, you might be comfortable with the uncomfortable and you may rush to implement every single idea because of its novelty rather than sorting to the most viable or sorting to the most profitable or sorting to the most relevant within your industry. So think about having a filter of customer need or a filter of relationship need. Uh, pay attention to how ideas stack up against changing technologies, against shifting business environment, and against the core values of what you stand for, or what your organization stands for. Um, great, great opportunities just to think about how do you take that raw talent and invest in it so that it can really run wild and run free. Speaking of running wild and free, um, it's my pleasure to introduce Jason Walker. Uh, Jason is disruptor talent in a human body. <laughs> I've gotten to work with him just briefly and listening to this man tell the stories and describe the kind of future that he sees is inspiring and motivating and um, he's he really is changing an entire industry. So Jason, welcome to the program. Thank you, Mike. It's good to be here. Hey, Jason, can you tell us just a little bit about yourself and, and how we ended up talking to you today? Yeah, absolutely. So um, my role, I, I have two roles. I'm vice president of innovation for EMJ Corporation, which is a billion dollar plus corporation in the development and construction industry. And I'm also the founder of C2C Labs, which was a disruption to our company, to our corporation that occurred about three years into my stint at EMJ. Um, so essentially I, I wrote a white paper, uh, to my boss, the CEO and told him, Hey, I have this thought about, we need to blow up our, our company and break it into these three different components. And, uh, anyway, he studied it for about 60 days and came back and said, okay, I got a twist on, on your idea, but what I want you to do is to go and start the first ever innovation hub in a construction company. So that is how C2C labs came to be found. And in the process of doing so, um, created a software technology to really take uh, innovation and startups from concept to completion. So we have trademarked that C to C, the letter C, the number two and the letter C. And uh, in the course of doing that, I had figured out, you know, the three legs of the of the classic stool or people process and technology. So we had the process um, after about a, a year of time invested in really figuring out a detailed process from concept to completion. Uh, then we turned that into a SaaS software platform. So the piece I was missing was the people science component. And I literally just stumbled into an old relationship I had with Gallup and have been a passionate Clifton Strengths Finders um, proponent since the early 2000s. And I just stumbled on to the fact that you guys were now focused on entrepreneurship and this builder talent. And when I did, it was like a marriage made in heaven. And so working with, working with Joe Daly um, it's just, and, and Todd, it's just been um, a great partnership. 
That's wonderful. So tell us a little bit about disruptor. Um, the word at first when I heard it, thought, why would anyone want to claim that? <laughs> that sounds sort of aggressive and scary, but what does disruptor mean for you? Well, so, you know, I think the best idea behind disruptor is it's applied innovation. It's not just, you know, it's not just ideas, but it is, it is futuristic game changing ideas that are applied in the real world to make real change that is measurable. Um, and then I guess my own person, what it means to me personally, I'd say this is kind of the, the Jason Walker version of disruption. Uh, it comes out as uh, unrelenting value creation. I have this outward orientation, whether it's um, at church, as a leader of our church, whether it's uh, working with kids, whether it's in my career, job, uh, I'm always looking for the the community involved. How can they receive the highest possible value from any product, any service, uh, any situation? And so it's just, and the unrelenting part of that value creation equation is what disruptors do is very hard for the rest of the world to understand and then it's very, very hard for the world to accept. And so the unrelenting is necessary if you're going to apply innovation in a way that does make real lasting and, and sustainable change. Um, it's not an easy thing. It's, it's, um, it's, a, it's, it's a path that all disruptors would, would understand what I'm talking about, but it is an uphill climb. You're constantly you know, pushing a rope uphill is, is what it often feels like. What keeps you climbing? Um, you know, for, for me personally, it is um, a positive, positivity is high for me. Um, and I got to say, my, my parents have built in me this belief that I am going to succeed, that I am going to be able to accomplish the mission uh, no matter what. So I think that that deep, firm belief that I was given as a child is a big part of it. And the other part of it is if you're passionate enough about your mission, uh, that's when I'm not, I'll give up quickly, right? It was a suggestion. I don't care. We'll let it go. But when it's, uh, when it's something that has to do with, you know, anything from disrupting what I think is a very broken um, venture capital allocation model in the United States that, disenfranchises groups of people because of their skin color, because of the city or the state that they live in. Those kinds of things come from a very deep, passionate place with me. And so um, it's that passion, I think, that that helps me to be unrelenting. It really does sound like, I, I love the phrase that you use, that that sort of outward focus. You know, I hear, you hear a lot of uh, your mission and your values, and it would be, I imagine, more difficult to stop pushing the rock up the hill if you knew somebody at the top was waiting for that rock. Yeah. So it does sound, it's not just that you love your ideas, but that you're very connected to how it benefits others. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the the community aspect for most disruptors, it's it's usually about that. It's not about some you know, selfish ambition, but it's typically about, they see something that, that they say to themselves, this cannot stand. Mm-hmm. And, and that's when they say there is a better way and we are going to make this happen. I, I, at first when I was learning about disruptor, it sounded a lot like just having great ideas, but I think you're, you the most important thing you've said so far is that applied innovation. It's not just that you have a great idea, but it's that you can't help, but help somebody see it and implement it and do something about that. Yes. Have you ever, um, has that ever been a problem? Have you ever had an idea that you couldn't implement? Yeah. And that's, you know, I think that's uh, probably part of the maturing process. I mean, in my thirties, I thought if you don't agree and go along, then, you know, you must've been sent by Satan. You know, you're a bad person. Uh, As you grow and mature, you realize that sometimes that is, that is somebody that's really there to, to save you for a bigger battle, a better fight, a more meaningful accomplishment. Um, and you start to understand, oh, okay, that's the whole diversity of strengths at play. And I need, I need those people on my team to help me with my, with my blind spots. But um, yeah, I'd, I'd say with maturity, it's, it's become less of a problem, but certainly in my twenties and thirties, it, it got me in some, some trouble occasionally. Jason, there's some folks in the chat room asking about your top four, the talents and on the, on the BP 10 side, can you roll through those real quick? Yes. So I am disruptor. Number one. I've got confidence for number two. Selling is my number three. And I've got relationship as my number four. 
how do those play up with disruptor? Um, for so it, this really, I think, comes into what the, comes into play with this idea about the the turning the the innovation into something measurable in the real world. The the selling and the relationship part. The relationship, you know, helps me to stay close to those who are coming alongside to help make a vision come to reality. Selling is really critical in, in, in a marketplace of people who do not like change. I mean, that's humans, right? Uh, <laughs> the, the selling component is necessary. And then I think the, the confidence piece helps those who are coming alongside when they, they, they can feed off the confidence and believe, Hey, he, he really believes this is going to happen and it helps others to believe that it'll happen. And it's funny how that works when, when your brain thinks it's going to happen. Sure enough, that's what comes to be. That's confidence in a nutshell. When your brain sees it, it happens. I love that. When did you first notice your disruptor talent? Oh gosh. I, I want to say forever, but that can't be true. I, I remember as a child, um, this, let me explain it after I tell you what it is. But as a child, I would, uh, I would see a, a TV program and then I would comment to my parents, okay, nobody sees this, but here's how you could, you could have committed a crime in that situation and been completely undetected or no one would have caught you. And it, 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 for me, was not a, a passion for doing things that are wrong or illegal, but it was, I, at an early age, I saw that I could see ways around curbs. I could see ways over curbs. Um, then when I got married, my wife, who's an amazing balance to me, uh, she, she said pretty early in our marriage, she said, I've just figured out that you don't think rules apply to you at all. And my wife, who is, who thinks rules were there to tell you exactly what you can and cannot do. So, uh, we certainly make a good combination, but it's, yeah, I'd say it's been something I've seen since the very earliest days. <laughs> so how do you feel about rules? <laughs> if they're not what's there to apply to you, what are they? Okay, yeah. So uh, the, the truth is I've got belief is number eight in my top 10. Uh, and I do believe in good and bad and right and wrong and those kind of things. So it's, it's not that. It's just that it is very easy for me to see where we have gone astray. So whether that's in the public sector where well-intentioned people have created laws or rules that actually don't help the people. I can see those quickly. And at the end of the day, I want to create value for the community. And when there is something artificial standing in the way, it's, it's easy for me to see it and, and to want to go destroy it. Jason, let, let me ask you in that scenario where you bump up against people in, in your in full disruptor mode, that makes a lot of people really uncomfortable. You alluded to that here just a second ago. How do you push through that? Because you've got to gain, even as a disruptor, you still have to gain some sense of consensus in what you're doing. Otherwise, you can't get things done. So as you run up against those, especially with people and especially with the naysayers, what are some strategies you use to kind of get past that? Yeah, so I think one of the best strategies for me, frankly, is partnering. Uh, I've tried the get better, be softer, be, and I'm just not that person. And I... <laughs> You know, I'm a little, I'm a little hard to take seriously when I, when I try to be. So what works great for me is, uh, is partnering. So for example, uh, the CFO of EMJ Corporation, uh, in his top five, he's got individualization. So he is nothing like me, but he gets me and he gets what I bring to the corporation and what I bring to the world. And then uh, another one of his top fives is deliberative. So as my partner, he is always, he sees landmines that I, without him, I'd have been, I'd, I'd have both legs gone before I realized it was there. So he's great in understanding me and then, and then helping me be the, the deliberator when, uh, when I'm not seeing things. That's excellent. I'm curious just about partnership. Are there habits that you two have established that really let you run free on your, on your disruptor talent? Yeah. And I would say that's a literally a work in process for us still trying to, to tweak that and understand. But um, I'd say what we have is a cadence and the cadence allows me, you know, I don't do well with micromanagement. I don't think most disruptors really do because it's a 
it's a divergent thinking exercise that lets you unleash the power of that talent theme. And so to be under a lid or any kind of micromanagement structure it kills the spirit of the very thing you're, you're trying to, to, to do. But I'd say a cadence that allows both the freedom and then it allows the, you know, the check-in where he can say, hey, I have seen a couple of things. There's a couple of things coming and they're not the kind of things you like to worry about. So let me, let me take care of these things coming up, but just be aware of it and, and I'll touch base with you to make sure that you're going around the, the roadblocks and getting to your destination. That's been a big part of that specific partnership. It sounds like a lot of good, good open communication. For sure. Yeah. And you know, it's, it, and it's, it's an open communication in mutual respect. I, I do not do deliberative, but I have tremendous respect for the value that it, that it brings to us and same, he is not, uh, he's not a disruptor, but he totally sees the value and the fact that if the corporation does not have that inside, it's likely to get disrupted from the outside. And that's an extremely painful place to be. Mm. Jason, you've done work both in corporate disruption and and now some in in public disruption and working with you know with public units, cities, and some of those kinds of things. Is there a difference between the two as you're going into those? Do you have to navigate those a little bit differently when you might have a for profit situation uh, with a with an enterprise, and then you might have a not for profit when you're thinking about a community community work? Yeah. Oh, wow. So I love the question. Um, inside corporations, you know corporations, business entities that are going concerns are built for the purpose of optimizing the profitable output of that, of that unit. Um, and whether the profit is dollars or whether it is spiritual in nature or in any other good, common good, that profit and the, and the maximization of it is the point. So the problem with disruption is it comes along in that context to say, Hey, let's, let's disrupt and change what you're doing to create the maximum good. And it is very hard for people inside corporations whose day-to-day job is to show up and maximize that profit. It's very difficult for them to appreciate and like the disruption that's being brought to bear. The, you know, working with cities and with the public sector, what is interesting to me is that the most, um, thoughtful leaders in the public sector are really coming to this place where they understand that if they don't innovate and disrupt in their city, their city can become obsolete because their people will go to where the action is because that's where the, that's where the economic prosperity is going to be. So a lot of the best uh, leaders in American cities now see that. That's why you see the rise of innovation districts and what we certainly hope is that the job factory concept is going to take off. Um, we're hoping in a hundred cities in America, we've got uh, some some great leading edge thinkers in Jacksonville, Florida, Waco, Texas, uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee, and others um, that I think are leading the way in doing that and disrupting the status quo within their cities because they know that it will create prosperity for their community for. 10, 20, 30, 40 years into the future. Do, do you feel like it's a different management set for you to disrupt on, on the enterprise side versus the city side? Do you have to come about it a little bit differently because maybe the politics involved or the lack of politics inside an organization? Yes, I do. And, and so one of the concepts that I've come to believe, it's not, I'm not the author of it, but uh, a, guy, a guy named John Hagel III is the author, and I think he nailed it. When he says you've with with regard to an existing corporation, you've got to disrupt on the edge. And what he suggests is rather than disrupting on the edge and then taking that edge to the center of the corporation, he suggests disrupting on the edge of the corporation and then finding those within the corporation who will naturally gravitate towards the edge. And he says eventually what happens is the edge becomes the new center rather than moving the, the edge to an existing center. So uh, we, are, we are trying those kinds of things now and already seeing early returns on that within, within a corporation. And what, what about on the public sector? Is it, does that same thing hold true or, or how do we get the public to move? 
Yeah. So I'm going to be brutally honest and say the, for us right now, our strategy is to ignore leaders who just don't see it this way. So at, at the moment, our current strategy is identify those who agree and go, go partner with those who agree and, and let's go sort of change the world. I, I'll call it either the low hanging fruit or the, the easier path for now. Um, I, I don't really know what to do about, you know, public sector leaders who are living in a previous era and refuse to move on other than all of you who have a vote do something about that. If, if you care about growth and prosperity. Yeah, well, you, you you definitely have a different when you think about a voting public that's behind this, then you have I mean, you're disrupting kind of at multiple levels, both with elected officials, even with some that have been appointed. And then you have the voting public. And so it gets very, very difficult if you're trying to move and the public is against it. That I mean, that has a whole different element, right? I mean, there's almost some politics involved in going out and getting the vote. Have you have you come up against that where you're dealing with a voting population? Yes. And so, you know, there's there's always going to be a sector of the of the public that just automatically they just get it intuitively. And for those who don't, what I've found to be really effective is the the connecting of uh, innovation to entrepreneurship, to company building, to job creation. And when you can show that path and show how, you know, pick any community in your city that is, uh, whether they're struggling or not, it doesn't matter. Every sub-community within your community is going to win when innovators are innovating and when builders are building companies. That there's, you, you just, you cannot lose when you, when you do that. And making that case to folks who, who vote and helping them understand that they should be they should be voting for those people in office who 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 both say that message and have a track record of respecting that process of company building. People who have that background and that track record should be, you know, raised up, put in a position um, to have control over things that happen within cities. And I think when we as voters do that everyone's going to win. I like this thought of, of disrupt on the edge and then pay attention to the uptick so that eventually the edge becomes the center. I can hear a lot of your selling into that disrupting. I'm curious, it, when you are thinking about creating innovation hubs and, and, and job, job creation centers, are you looking for people who are going to also be disruptors? Or are you looking for people who are going to buy what your disruption is? Or is it some combination of the both? Uh, and let me see if I'm clear. Do you mean as the as the target part partners, the the folks that we would partner with, or when you're thinking about moving the center? So, do you think that it? it I'm I I wonder if it takes a little bit of disruptor in order to be the first follower of somebody who's going in a different direction. Um, yes. But how do you make sure that we're all on the same disruption? Is my question. Yeah. So um, I I agree with what you said. When I can see in somebody's eyes that they have that dis that disruptive tendency that is that is somebody who is going to quickly become you know the, hey I'm like-minded I want to join this mission of yours and that helps to develop you know a core so in any city where we're trying to you know create a job factory or with any corporation where somebody has this idea we need a we need a venture factory for innovation within our corporation I'm looking for that early adopter, which is going to tend to be a disruptive force. I'm looking for them. We, we latch onto them and then we start to grow the size of the edge, right? So it could be a single person on the edge. We start to grow the size of the edge until, you know, hopefully at some point the edge becomes so big, so successful, so value creating and thus profit creating that it sort of becomes the new center. And that, that just gives opportunities for everyone who was who used to be in the center they just become part of this new center and they say I don't get how you guys came up with this but I sure love working in this environment and I sure love what we now do for clients that we never used to do and that is very satisfying for everybody involved in the disruption 
Love that. Jeff in the chat room says someone with risk in leadership can probably grab hold on, grab a hold faster than others. Probably again, a different type of talent. Are you the person who says, I see around corners that nobody else sees? Or can you also be the leader who says, I'm going to follow that guy around a corner because he's got something going on? And I've seen both. I agree with when I've, I've, I am working with folks who are just, they're very high in the risk category. And so they have this comfort with, all right, we're going to figure this out. It seems a little scary, but we will, we'll figure it out. I've also had success working with leaders who have neither risk, they have, nor do they have disruptor, but they somehow latch on to a future vision. And it's, if, if you can get folks passionate enough about that future vision, they will hang on during the roller coaster ride until you kind of hit the flat spot and then they can cheer and scream and go, I'm glad I did it. Jason, it sounds like in your disruption cycles, early success is really important to bring those others along. Can Are there any strategies? you do, I, do you concentrate on that? In other words, when you're going in, realizing, hey, we get one, we, we might get one shot at this. So it needs to be the best shot possible. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So we use, in everything that we do, we use a lean mentality, a lean methodology. So we are all about speed and we are all about truth, and we are all about the truth is not what just happens in our brain, but the truth is what the market tells us. And so that, that lean methodology allows us to test and iterate and to discover what we don't know. The, you know, the, the, the entrepreneurial process is a process of going from 90 to 100% unknowns to a world where eventually you have 0 to 5% unknowns. And that journey, we, we, we make it as safe as we possibly can by, by acting quickly, minimizing our uh, risk, whether that's capital risk, whether that's the risk of time wasted, by testing and iterating in the market in real time. Um, so that's, that's a, kind of a strategy that we use to, to mitigate. And, and Benedict had asked this question a little bit earlier. Are there any values? Or is there a value framework that you push some of this through and say, I won't disrupt if it's going to val, if it's going to, you know, um, if it's going to cross this value set that I have, is there anything like that that you have, or you won't go in and do something based on a set of values? Yeah. So, you know, for me personally, so I'm a Christ follower. And so there is a, you know, there's a whole set of things there that I feel for me personally, or those are lines that I won't cross. Um, but in terms of the, you know, the public work that I do is very important for me that, that innovation be inclusive. And it, we've gotten to a point in, especially in America where it is, it is not, we've gotten to a point where the, the, the recipients of venture capital in the U S tend to be white males who live in four metropolitan statistical areas. And that is a shame for our country. It's a shame for those people who were born with a talent and no one ever took the time to tell them you got this special thing, little five-year-old kid who gets, keeps getting licks in the principal's office. You're not a bad kid. You're actually the kid who's going to save your city and help save our country. Um, Ah, I'm sorry. I get real passionate no, about that. It's, it's great. I, the, the question is, Jason, how do we disrupt that? Like, how do we get past? I mean, what's it going to take to get more diversity? What's it going to take to to empower those communities? Any any thoughts and ideas on that? What can we do to disrupt that? Well, I, I think, you know, Gallup and C2C Labs, we're doing all that we can, um, you know, with our focus on these job factories, you know, where the intent is to go into cities start identifying kids as young as kindergarten all the way through college, as well as adults all the way through a hundred plus. If you're 105 and you have ideas and you have talent themes, we want to find you and we want to, we want to plug you in and get you going. So it's, it's creating that ecosystem in cities for us where we, where we identify who you are, what is your talent theme, especially catch them young. And then we've got, as we build these ecosystems, we're going to build out things like Lemonade Day, which allows kids from kindergarten to fifth grade to have 30 days a year where they focus on entrepreneurism and building a lemonade stand. Uh, It's programs that cover middle school and high school. And what we really want to be doing is grabbing kids uh, around the seventh grade and saying, hey, you have this builder talent. So we need to, you need to start thinking about, instead of being an NFL star, an NBA star, whatever, we need you to start thinking about being a star who builds businesses 
and we start to connect them with internships and real world opportunities so that by the time they get out, these guys are ready to go build companies, hire people, change communities, and ultimately change the flatline GDP curve for the United States of America. Jason, I'm a good, uh, nice, disciplined white Methodist from Nebraska, but I find myself wanting to stand up and shout amen. (laughs) 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 What do you do when you've got this, a whole bunch of people like me standing up and shouting amen to what you're disrupting? How do you make sure that you deliver on that? Are you as excited about leading the herd once you've become the Pied Piper or is it more about moving on to the next idea? Well, so, you know, active, I got activator at number one. I've got strategic at number two for my Clifton strings. And the way that I try to balance those is not, I, I do know this, nothing ever happened that didn't get started that much. I know for a fact. So I am uber passionate about, you got to get started. You got to get started. You got to get started. And then what I do with my strategic is I try to identify those folks who are just naturally built and talented at the phase two, the phase three, the phase four, and to try to put them in position so that they can win, so that they can play the roles that they were built to play. And when you can get the right people lined up, so you get essentially a domino effect where your activation, you know, it's not one domino and oops, that's the end of that. It's one leads to the next and to the next. And and I just, I don't think you can do that without a good understanding of people. And for me, that the, the two tools that I use to do that are the BP-10 and the, the Clifton Strengths Finders to identify that in others. Can you talk a little bit about how you're using BP-10 just for anybody who still might be on that first uptick of, of being introduced to this tool? Sure. So in, in working with folks who see themselves as entrepreneurs, as founders uh, or co-founders, Super helpful for us in figuring out their blind spots. It, so I'll, there's a there's a fantastic young man, twenty. He's in his twenties, and the the day I met him, he's in Jacksonville, Florida. The day I met him, just within thirty seconds, you're just like, you're a world changer. <laughs> you just you see it and you know it. And as we got to talk, it was just so obvious. And so I said, hey, I'd like you, if you'll you'll give me 45 minutes of your time, I'd like you to take this BP-10 test and we're going to work on it together. And so he took it and then we we both were at an event a few weeks later in Houston. And as we got to talk through it, I said, are the following things true? Do you find yourself really struggling to coordinate things, to be on time to things? And everyone at the table dying laughing, like, oh my gosh, you've been spying on this guy. And so- (laughs) You know, what I was able to tell him is, look, you've got this curve of really high scores for the first eight, and then you drop off a cliff and are, you're like embarrassingly absent in these last two. And it's the, it's the, it was the, uh, let's see, it was profit. And the other one for him was delegator. And so he just didn't know how to delegate and he, and he, and he, he didn't care about the, the, the profit piece. So essentially what I said is, We've got to get you a CFO, a partner who is going to have profit high on his skill set, on his passion list, and somebody who can help you delegate. And that will allow us to get you out of these train wrecks that you're causing and let you go be the disruptor who this guy is going to create the largest uh, kids robotic uh, program. It's going to 10,000 kids is his goal in the city of Jacksonville um, doing, doing STEM through this robotics program. So, you know, it's people like that. And when you figure out where they're struggling, uh, and it was, uh, for him, it was this huge, uh, boon of energy. He said, this gives me my passion back. I was losing hope and losing confidence because he was being condemned on a regular basis for why can't you ever be on time? And why, when we show up to this thing, aren't the right things where they ought to be? Well, it's because he is not that guy and we need to go find someone who is to partner with him. That's great. So it really is targeting those those BP-10 themes at the specific project? Yes. Uh, yeah. At the Yes. And sometimes it's a little more generic than that, but y- you got to have a team where there are no holes 
And so if you, if you find holes, go plug them. And it's, and I've told uh, some of our founders that it doesn't even have to be with a co-founder, but it's got to be with somebody. It could be your wife, it could be your kids, but somebody's got to step into that, into that hole and plug it. You mentioned earlier that your wife balances you out really well. I'm curious, what does disruptor talent look like at home with your family? <laughs> okay. So yeah, my wife is like the best thing that's ever happened to me. Um, so my wife in her top five, I've not given her the BP 10 because I'm afraid to, but in her top, <laughs> in her top five, she's got responsibility and consistency, which if I looked them up, I'm sure is in my bottom, my bottom five. Um, and so, you know, for us is it, there's this balancing thing and I get, I, I get a lot of, um, life enhancement from her keeping me consistent, keeping me on a schedule, those things that do not come natural. And then this sense of responsibility that, okay, something is out there and we have got to tie the, tie, close the loop and tie the knot on that. Otherwise it is, it is just morally wrong. So that's the role that she plays. And then for me, you know, I am the balance to her and I'm always able to say, Hey, we, we haven't even thought about this, but I can see like behind two walls and over one hill, there's something out there that would be really good for our family. So let's, you know, let's start moving in that direction. And then she says, okay, as long as we do so responsibly and with consistency, let's go. So she balances you from a family perspective. Do you find that same set of skills or personalities or talents balance you in the public space too, or in the workspace? Who are your best partners at work? Yeah, well, I've mentioned my CFO, uh, also my, my head of software development. Um, he's got, uh, context as I think number one and connectedness is, is, uh, two or three for him. And so he just keeps me always grounded and connected to it's about human beings. <laughs> he's great at that. And then the, the context, he's so good at, I, I sometimes, uh, am, because I'm intuitive, I'll just, I'll make assumptions and he's busy gathering context and he can say, ah, it turns out it's not quite what you thought. And here's some more data. So that's a, that's, that's a great partnership for me as well. It doesn't seem like disruptors can fail in some regards because you just move on to the next thing. But what does, what does failure look like? What, what, what's the road look like when you're like, oh, I did not get this done. What does that look like? Yeah. You know, okay. So I got asked this question yesterday by uh, an individual that flew into town at, for kind of a sh job shadowing and interviewing process. And so he asked me at dinner last night, he said, okay, I'm going to ask you a question that you asked a founder when we were working on an exercise today. And he says, three years into the future, what does failure look like for job factories and venture factories? And my answer was, I, the, it doesn't look like anything because I don't accept, I don't accept the premise of failure. Um, and, and so how do I get away with that? Well, it's partly because I'm a no regrets person. It's okay. If, if, if the world says that was a really bad outcome, I say yes to some bigger, better good. That's part of it. And the other part of it is, um, I think really good disruptors that that are that are good and strategic and good and activator can 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 salvage a win. If it's not the the grand slam home run they envisioned and hoped for, they're going to find themselves on first base, smiling that well, it was crazy hard, but we got to first base, and that is that is good for someone. That did good for somebody involved. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of perspective to me. In other words, going in, well, and you mentioned you're very agile in what you're doing. And I think agility allows you the ability to fail in smaller increments earlier and move on to success uh, towards the end. So you see those dangers instead of pushing all the way down and having a massive blowout, you might have some little dings along the way. That, I always say it's like tapping on the side of the rails, right? You're tapping the project along, keeping it on the rails little bits at a time. It sounds like you're massaging a lot of the projects that you do that way to just kind of keep them, see those failures early. Is that an accurate description? Is that, would you agree? Yeah, you totally. That's it really, it's that, that's that lean mentality, the lean methodology that says if the, if the market or reality tells you that you're wrong, love that, love the feedback, appreciate it and pivot. And I think that's another aspect of why good disruptors are quote always successful. It's because they they accept the many failures, M I N I, 
every minute of every day, which allows them, they, they will hit what is true and right and good because they accepted sort of course correction, like every step along the way. Yeah. There is a strong correlation between strategic and, and delegator, or excuse me, disruptor. And I think that perhaps a lot of what's been consistent about our conversation today, Jason, is your ability to see things as part of something else. That what if and if then, uh, you know, maybe a failure is just part of a flow chart that sends you in a different direction. And that sounds a lot like the sort of contingency and options thinking within strategic. Um, so it is, it's part of something bigger. That's uh, fantastic. Jason, if you were going to um, advise, in fact, this is just perfect. I was going to ask you this anyway, but guest six, four in the chat room says, I'm just learning that I have disruptors, my number one and what it actually means. How do I unlock my potential? What would you suggest? So what have you learned, Jason, about disruptor that has helped you get better at it? Well, um, so I'm going to tell you, maybe this is going to go to blind spots in, in a way. I've, I, I have realized that I have these, uh, these, the negative sides of disruption that have caused me to really up my game to overcome those. And I've, I've mentioned that partnerships is a big part of that. But one of the blind spots for someone who does have this talent tends to be a almost disregard for other people's need for tons of detailed information that we know is not important at the current moment. It's not that it will never be important, but folks who, who are not disruptors will ask for, you know, they want the last chapter and we're trying to say, mm -hmm. Hey, we need to publish a book. Can we all agree? And they're like, well, I don't know. I can't agree to publish the book until you tell me the last paragraph of the last chapter. And, and so understanding that that's where people are coming from and then focusing on learning those people skills that help you get people to a place where they're comfortable that, okay, it's going to be okay if I don't really know the last chapter. Help them understand that it's going to be okay. We're going to make it through. And a lot of that is you can help people by saying, hey, here's a track record. Here's what I've experienced and done and see it came out okay. And people were just like you are back then in the early days. And you can call them now and they'll tell you it's, it's all good. I love that. It's, it's just the question of how do you communicate the value of your talent in a way that's palatable to people who don't have that talent? Yes. Yeah. And, you know, from a communication perspective, um, my brain thinks in metaphor. I, I literally think in metaphor. So I, I speak in metaphor. Another blind spot of mine, though, is that there are some folks that are so strict and literal that it is not a help to them. It's actually a hindrance when when I paint a metaphorical story and now I'm talking about zebras and gorillas and they're like, I don't understand how this relates to what we're talking about. So being careful that you that you understand the communication types of the people you're working with is obviously pretty big. A great investment. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, Jim, do you have anything else? Any other questions from the chat room? Well, it has been a very, very active, very active uh, chat room. Let me, uh, Jason, let me ask you one more question. What do you do to improve, especially in the area, you know, that we, we often see this idea of being a disruptor as being natural and it is, but are there things, are, are there things you read? Are there things you do? Is there learning that you do that helps you continue to hone that, that talent? Yes. So if I had a, a word of advice to those who have that disruptive talent, study things not related to your current focus, your current subject. Uh, it is amazing how a disruptive mind can see what is going on over here in this industry and come back and say, oh my gosh, this is what we've got to do, guys. We, we, we need to be moving in a totally different direction. And you, you don't see those things. You, you're not able to connect dots when all the dots you're looking at are in your current endeavor or in your current industry. So that to me is a suggestion. Man, that is great advice. I, I just think about uh, oftentimes when we get stuck in our own industry, the best ideas actually come out of a completely different industry. And we need to incorporate some of those. I think, you know, uh, you mentioned the church earlier, and I think the church in America is reinventing itself in a lot of ways by taking ideas from other other areas and melding them into what they're doing from a, you know, from a, a program standpoint. And I think there's a lot that can be seen in Silicon Valley and that can be seen in Austin and that can be seen across the United States. As we think about innovation, a lot of these software companies are taking concept or ideas 
that come from other industries and being able to jam them together. And, you know, the, the Lyft or the Uber example is one of, of reinventing kind of the way, um, you know, a, an industry works. Yet leadership matters, we know in those examples as well, right? That's good, solid leadership behind those matters as well. So, Micah, as we kind of wrap this, any other things you want to add to it? We had a great chat room, just tonight, wanna, by the way. I just want to summarize what we just said, which was any advice for disruptors? It sounds like the advice was disrupt yourself. Oh. <laughs> you know? Don't, you know, That's lean true. into the fact that you, you are cutting edge. Go to your own edge, you know? And that's just huge. We could, we could talk for hours on that. Um, Jason, thank you so much. You've just been, um, you're absolutely my poster child for Disruptor. I think that um, on many levels, a lot of us are just curious about how we can join the kind of world change that you're creating. So um, we'll be looking you up. Thanks for joining. Uh, Disruptor is, it's just such a beautiful, I think, gift to the world and your external values coded C-O-A-T-E-D, like just dripping in value uh, version of Disruptor is something that we can all use a little bit more of. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, Jason, thanks for being on. Hang tight for one second. I think my favorite example is that on the edge. And oftentimes we think we have to we have to create change on the edge and bring it to the center instead of bringing the center back out to the edge once we've created that. And it's just a great metaphor as we kind of think about our roles out there as a disruptor and the kind of things we're doing. So Jason, hang on tight for one second. And we thank you for coming. We'll remind everyone to take advantage of all the resources we have available at the Gallup Strength Center, just gallupstrengthcenter.com. You can send us your questions or comments. If you'd like to be a guest blogger, you got something to write, something in your head, and you'd like to submit it to be on our blog, you can do that. We're looking four to 600 words, something original. Send us an email, coaching at gallup.com. That'll get to me and Micah, and we can uh, review that, work with you on it. You can also catch the recorded audio and video of this program, as well as all the past ones, including an enormous amount of resources now on our coach's blog. If you haven't been out there in a while, you might want to head out there, coaching.gallup.com. If you're interested in becoming a Gallup Certified Strengths Coach, or we do have training around this BP10 product that's coming uh, throughout the throughout the rest of this year and hopefully some in the next, you might be listening to this at a later date, head out to our courses page, courses.gallup.com. We're co- constantly changing the offerings that we have out there available for you. And everything that we have, the most currently stuff we have, again, is at courses.gallup.com. If you found this helpful, and you should, We'd ask that you'd share it and we thank everyone for joining us today. And with that, we'll say goodbye, everybody.